Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today, I have the Professor. Oh. Fun week? Oh, it's been all right. Any, any office mishaps? No, I've had a really boring week. No computers caught fire. Nobody got any horrible computer viruses. Not even a worm? Nope, not even a worm. Oh, I, think it's, I think the time has come, Professor. The time has come, Professor. I think I think you've done your job. It's time for I you to go. I taught them everything I know. <laughs> and they, they don't listen. <laughs> It's like time for you to walk down to the to walk down the sunset, like like uh, Master Uguay in Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. <laughs> just dissolve into petals. <laughs> you should just go have like Han Simmer playing in the background, and you'd be like, <laughs> "Wow, the professor was such a meaningful man." Well, <laughs> unfortunately, they uh, people don't learn, so I'm still needed. <laughs> There'll probably be something fun happening next week. Yep, yep. And by then you'll be uh, lo- by, by then you'll be starting to lose sleep. Yep. Well, that's uh, the thing. Then, though. Then- On days when there's no major issue, I'm sitting there all day. A bored out of my mind because there's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go and do some training or whatever when I have that available. Or B waiting for something to happen and knowing that when it does happen, it's going to be big. And then you'll be like, "Oh, oh, crud! It happened." Yep. <laughs> and then I bet you, like, by by the time you ended the, by the time you ended the, and by the time you healed the problem, you'll be like, "Why do we need sleep?" There we go. Your segue is getting better. Oh, thank you, thank you. So why do we need sleep? To relax, to recharge, to uh, to anticipate the uh, the craziness of tomorrow. You didn't read the article, did you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's more to that. There's more to that question. I will say there, there is more to yes. it. So the-, the UCLA has released a quant- uh, quantitative analysis paper collecting a bunch of different research about why you need to sleep. And it turns out that in babies up to two and a half years old, when you sleep, your brain is mostly growing. But after that, your brain goes to maintenance mode while you sleep. Well, the question would be, though, where would, so if it's in maintenance and repair, so where do the dreams come from then? Is it just a side effect of repairing and maintenance? Um, no, there's uh, a few different arguments about dreams. I think the most accepted one is probably that it's associated with your memories. Uh, there's another theory that it's your brain playing out, sim- like basically simulating scenarios. But while it's in maintenance mode, the channels in your brain open up and allow the cerebral, sp- cerebral spinal fluid to flow through and carry away uh, metabolic waste, including beta amyloids. And beta amyloids are associated with dementia. So it seems likely that if you don't sleep, the channels in your brain won't open up and wash away the beta amyloids, leading to you going and getting dementia, which is uh, a bit scary. I'm definitely going to bed when we're done here. (laughs) But here's the question, though, when it comes to sleep, though. Like... I've always hear like people saying like, okay, we you need to sleep like six hours, uh, six hours, seven hours, eight hours. Like you don't get the right, um, like you don't get the proper time, proper amount of hours to sleep though. Yeah. So this uh, this paper suggests seven and a half hours, and obviously that's not true for everyone. Some people just can't sleep past you know six hours. Some people feel awful even if they sleep for nine hours. But, you know, as a rule of thumb, aim for seven and a half hours of sleep and try not to get woken up and try to 
set your room up so it's good quality sleep. Yeah, I've got um so I've got a website here from the Sleep Foundation. They're saying here adults at adult um twenty six to sixty four years old, seven to nine hours of sleep. Okay. And the older adults, sixty five or more years, seven to eight hours of sleep. And also the the annoying part about it, like, yeah, sure, we can recommend people to sleep like seven to nine hours a day. But the problem is uh, like now that in this current climate it's impossible because People are, things are getting more busier and um, more more workplaces are saying like, all right, we need you to do more work and s- screw your sleep patterns. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that the more evidence that comes out that says that things like sleep are important, the more like, I'd like to believe in people being genuinely good at heart. And that if, you know, if Amazon or some other company that really overworks their workers sees an article that says overworking your workers is bad for their health, then they would change. Now, I'm not always hopeful that it will happen, but I'd like it to. It also does take into effect, like, um, uh, naps as well. Yeah. yeah, like, like I get that sleep is important, but then, like, what happens if you take a nap and you can't get to sleep later in the day? It depends, really. So, what grade of sleep was your nap? Did you have uh, rapid eye movement sleep? So, there's some people follow sleep regimes called uh, polyphasic sleep, where the idea is that instead of sleeping in one block from, you know, 11 until 6 in the morning or whatever, you sleep in two or more blocks throughout the day. And that way you're technically spending more time awake. And having that those naps is what keeps you feeling functional. Yeah. But I've got to wonder um, whether the people who follow those plans and only sleep for, say, 20 minutes at a time are actually getting the benefit of sleep. Are there, um, are there brains being repaired and maintained? Or are they going to be more likely to have dementia when they get older because they didn't give their brains time to sleep? Yeah, apparently, uh, if if I recall, like in Mexico, there are some, um, they they do um, a thing called the siestas. (laughs) Yes, the afternoon snooze. Yep. (laughs) I understand that uh, that started because in places like, um, well, in hot places like Mexico or Spain, it um, it's just too hot during the day to work. Yeah. So you get up early and have a productive morning, have a snooze for a few hours, and then have a you know do your evening stuff, a few more hours of work, uh, have a late dinner or whatever. Yeah. In- interestingly, you said about Spain. They said here that um, in modern Spain, the modern nap, uh, the midday nap during the working week has largely been abandoned among the adult working population. According to a 2009 survey, 16.2% of Spaniards polled claim to take a nap daily, inverted commas, where 22% do sometimes 3.2 on weekends only and remainder never. The share of those who claim to have nap daily had, had diminished by 7% compared to the previous poll in 1998. Uh, English language media always conflate the siesta with a two or three hour lunch break, which is characteristic of Spanish working hours. Even though the working population is likely to have time for a siesta, are less likely to have time for a siesta, and two events are not na- necessarily connected. Interesting. So they have a, a long lunch, even if they're not having a snooze. I can see why that would be useful because it's an absolute pain that the bank closes at 4.30. Like, how are people who work nine to five supposed to go to the bank? Whereas if you had a um, if you had a long lunch break, you'd be able to figure that out. Hopefully the, you know, people would offset their time by a bit. So mm. there'd, yeah. there'd always be someone in the office. 
Yeah. Here's my question, though, um, as we come back to the topic. Um, like you were saying, like how um, sleep takes out the um, buildup of, build of um, waste that increases a dementia. Would you say the afternoon, like let's say, for example, I have like a less than eight hours of sleep, like a five hour sleep. And it and it um takes and, and it's it pauses the process in removing the um waste. Like would the afternoon siesta like does the rest in a way? I don't know. It's um not something mentioned in this paper that I've seen. Yeah. But uh, there is some debate about whether you can have a sleep debt, whether you can like if you skip a night of sleep for whatever reason, mm-hmm. can you benefit from extra sleep in the days following? Mm. They're saying here uh, a large sleep that may lead to mental and physical fatigue. Yeah, and it also that could makes lead, sense. Yeah, and it also could lead to uh, obesity as well. And yep, in terms of scientific debate, the debate among researchers as to whether the concept of sleep that describes a measurable phenomenon. A 2004 issue of Journal Sleep contains dueling editorials from two leading sleep science um, researchers. Uh, a 1997 experiment conducted by physicists at the University of Pennsylvania uh, suggested that the cumulative nocturnal sleep that affects daytime sleepiness, particularly on the first, second, sixth, and seven days of sleep restriction. Okay. So in other words, it is possible, but then more, more research needed. Yeah. And the other interesting part with, when it comes to sleep is like, I wonder how, um, how would this affect caffeine users? At, like, you know, like you get the odd uh, gamer or two with the, uh, with, with the energy, sh- energy drink sh- hit. So, well, the issue there is caffeine binds with, um, I think it's melanin receptors or it blocks them and prevents your body from picking up the signal that you are tired. So melanin is a hormone that regulates your sleep and having uh, having caffeine will block the receptors. Your body can't tell that you're actually tired and you feel awake. I think that would be not great because um, then you just end up spending all, well, all night awake because you're doped up on caffeine and you you're not getting the sleep you need. Yeah. I mean, so I don't think the caffeine itself would affect it. I think yeah. not sleeping because you've had caffeine would. Yeah. I mean, those gamers with their, uh, w- w- when they go on like big, on long marathons, <laughs> like, because I remember a story where some kid, some guy died at the gaming, um, in the, in, in a gaming land, um, cafe after spending like 30 hours without sleep or something like that. Yeah, uh, those people uh, already already have issues. So, like most people, will fall asleep before they um, before they die from ex- exhaustion. The other issue is the people who uh, stay up all well, stay up multiple days in a row gaming and doped up on caffeine usually have some underlying issue, some addiction or um, depression or some some issue that you know they're not doing it because they they're doing it because they have an well as an escape yeah. they're not doing it because they want to you know not sleep i think is is the issue there yeah did they talk anything about exhaustion in the article um no because that would be an issue as well what i'm interested in though is that they say that um up until two and a half your brain is in sort of building mode and while you sleep, your brain is building and growing and developing. And it's not until you're two and a half that your brain goes to maintenance mode. I wonder if they could work out what enzyme or protein or whatever it is that regulates uh, that would be able 
if they could inject that into an adult, if they could boost your brain power. I think it could be gen- it could be a genetic thing. Yeah, it could, it could be. be more- yeah, it could be a genetic uh, trigger. Like by there the are genetic you- sleep issues, like uh, fatal familial insomnia, Ooh. which is an absolutely terrifying. Uh, actually, no, sorry, that's a prion disease. I think. Okay, so there are genetic sleep issues. Um, I don't think fatal familial insomnia is actually one of them, but that is um, a really fun condition where you lose the ability to sleep and then die. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, no, it is. It does have a genetic component. I feel sorry for those people who, do, who, who don't. Who, I feel sorry for those people. Yeah. Yeah. So in this case, it is a, it's a uh, prion, prion disease. disease. Yeah. Yeah. But the prions are generated by a faulty gene. Uh, And the first recorded case was an Italian man who died in Venice in 1765. Wow. How did they they do that? I mean, I I wonder if they had better computers back in 1765. That's bad. (laughs) You're trying to do the whole Chinese gamers are better because of their computers on their hacks thing. But that's not how it works. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, with the lack of sleep, I mean, sleep is important, but I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's fine. And, as I said earlier on, it's fine and dandy that, that they, that they're preaching the whole sleep is important, guys. You should do it. But then trying to do it to, in trying to convey this message to the world, I think it's, it's, fu- it's fine, but I don't think it will reach to a lot of ears. Yeah. I hope that, you know, people are inspired to take care of themselves when they hear news about how important sleep is. I know from experience that, you know, it's not always easy to fix your sleep patterns, but, um, you know, try to uh, give it a go if you can. And hopefully you've got a job that accommodates that. You know, I feel bad for uh, doctors who often work ridiculous, um, ridiculous shifts. Yeah. 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 And most of the and most of the doctors like when they suffer from workaholism, um, which is is, is an actual term. Like uh, most of them, it's, it, it depends on like there are many reasons why workaholism is a problem with in terms of health professionals. Like for example, the uh, it could be competitiveness. It could be there's not enough staff and they need one more guy kind of thing. It could be a uh, um, money issue as well. So it's. Uh, it's a myriad of problems. I mean, yeah, it's not. It's not. Sim- I it's, think there is no simple solution to make people go to sleep. No, it's on a case by case basis. Yeah, but one thing that would definitely help is having a stable income. Like, um, you can actually see with doctors, there's a, um, there's actually a curve that they chart. You can tell a doctor. So, working out the ideal shift length for a doctor, you can tell. Uh, Say the first 12 hours, I don't remember the exact details, survival rates increase of patients because below that limit, doctors are having to change over, do handoffs, uh, transmit information, and things get forgotten or skip, um, not deliberately, but just because they're you know changing over so often. But beyond that point, the uh, survival rate goes down again because the doctor's fatigued and they make mistakes. Yeah. So yeah, whatever reason people are working ridiculous hours there's a a certain cutoff where your performance is lower than the additional performance you get from working overtime and and even worse would be like the amount of brain um the waste in your brain would be pretty much once you get to sleep it'd be pretty hard to get 
to get it out of your system as well. Yeah. Yeah, you probably just got to... Hopefully you just need to sleep an extra few hours, but um, it's not clear whether uh, whether that will actually catch you up or not. Mm. So while um, we we do need to sleep, uh, we can be rest assured we won't be using Oculus Two to buy some uh, to, to make us go to sleep. No, sleep takes away from gaming time. <laughs> so uh, you you got a story about the Oculus Two and uh, some interesting news. Yeah, so Ars Technica has gotten a review um, of the. Oculus Quest 2 and Facebook, who, when they acquired Oculus, said all this stuff about not uh, ever acquiring a Facebook login. Turns out they lied. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. So sometime next year, you're going to need to use a Facebook account to use your Oculus. And I'm sure people will make jailbreaks for the Oculus Quest. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. You know, um, people have already jailbroken. Um, I think they've jailbroken it, so it completely... Actually, no, it's Revive lets you play Quest games on the Vive, I think. So yeah. So now that you need to create a Facebook account to use with your Oculus Quest in the near future, they, um, Ars Technica also now noticed the screen is better. Uh, it should have higher frame rate, but it doesn't support it yet. The wireless hardware should be better. The battery is smaller, which is unusual. Mm. Usually things give you a better battery life in the second generation. I'm imagining they decided, um, so Ars Technica report that you'll barely exceed two hours. I imagine Facebook optimized that. They worked out most people play for, say, 90 minutes. So we all uh, dialed in two hours as the sweet spot, which is possibly better. Uh, there's less weight hanging off the front of your face, but then they go and rack it by giving you a terrible head strap. Uh, and well, then in the tradition of the Oculus Quest, they make it, um, they further narrow the IPD slider. So the IPD, the interpupillary distance, the distance between your pupils, has to be manually adjusted on most headsets. And uh, the f very first Oculus devices had pretty good IPD settings. And Palmer Lucky, who founded Oculus, actually pointed out in a blog post after Facebook bought Oculus and uh, announced a new device with a smaller IPD um, adjustment that he wouldn't be able to use it because his IPD is outside the, uh, the range. So it looks like they're further restricting who can use it. Now, um, the interesting thing is, Ars Technica had issues with the controllers, but uh, other people have said that the controllers are the same as the old ones, or at least the tracking module is. So they're a bit redesigned. They have uh, different batteries and stuff, but they are actually, should theoretically perform the same, but they don't according to our Technica, so we don't know why. Uh, I'm looking at some another article. That said that you, as you were saying, like they have a new processor as well. Yeah, so it's, um, it's a standard Gen 2, new hardware, um, new design, new battery. Yeah. But... Some of the other decisions are just dumb. Yeah. Now that you mention it with the Facebook account, um, parents are very, very angry at it, apparently. <laughs> like some parents were saying like they they don't like they were saying like um it really touched the nerve and I feel resentful towards Facebook, said one mum who's raising a single mum who's raising a 13 year old and running a, and running the uh PR marketing firm saying that and another another one saying like my son's not ready for social media because of what it brings 
Yep. Stay out of my eyeballs, Zuck. <laughs> Stay out of- oh. He says as a Facebook user. Oh. Look, I know that I don't like that I have to use Facebook. I don't like that it's the best way to do certain things, but I do try to protect myself online. And I won't be buying a Quest 2 because I don't want to link my Facebook account with it. Yeah, but that's the thing, though. Nowadays, like, everything is all into, like, interconnectivity is a thing now. Like, you, uh, people are always linking up their Instagram account, uh, their Facebook account, their TikTok account, their Facebook account. All of it's all connected now, which is the sad, which is very interesting, but very sad at the same time, because it's sad in terms of you can't get any privacy, <laughs> yet you want to be connected to yeah, everything. Which is why I'm uh, looking into open source, secure messaging and stuff. Not because I want to be a, you know, want to be a badass criminal cyber hacker, you know, go hacker man with my hoodie and my laptop. No, <laughs> it's because I want my privacy and I want to stay connected to the people I care about. Although the other interesting question would be with, now with the uh, with Facebook coming into the Oculus, the other interesting thing would be I wonder how many civil civil liberty lawsuits you're gonna get. Yeah, the ACLU is um, probably gonna point this out. I don't know if they will go and do a lawsuit about it, but this is the sort of thing that the ACLU does care about, mm. along with the um, EFF. The stupid part about th- this scenario as well is that uh, what if the like if um, like the parents said, like, I don't want to introduce my kids to um, social media, but then do you want to make it like, you know, you're going to um, like hinder your child's progress and enjoyment just because of a privacy issue. There are res- responsible ways to use social media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's up to parents how they raise their children within boundaries, of course. But I think a child is going to be less hindered by being banned from Facebook than they are by a lot of other things. Or, or, or he is a crazy... He's and a how crazy old guy. is this kid, though? Like, uh, is this kid 10 years old? In which case, they can't, uh, they can't technically have a Facebook account because the terms and services for Facebook require you to be uh, 13. Yeah, 13, yeah. Yeah, so it could be, you know, this locks out buying one for your your kids unless you want to link it to your own Facebook account because you need to be 13 to have a Facebook account. And uh, Facebook's response to the whole um, idea is basically this, giving people a single way to uh, a single way to log into Oculus using their Facebook account and password will make it easier to find, connect and play with friends in VR. Uh, that just sounds like a PR speak. Achoo! Sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. Yep. (laughs) The other thing is I don't want to invite Facebook into my house that much. Yeah. Like, this also has cameras on it. They are infrared cameras, but I don't want Facebook knowing, like, the layout of my apartment. Yeah, yeah. What was that crazy story about Alexa? Remember when uh, Alexa was hacking into your systems? Uh, which one? Um, there was a story about how Alexa could be tracking every movement that you have around the house and your search, search history and whatnot. Oh yeah. So yeah, that is the part of what sort of you're inviting in your house by choosing to use an Alexa. Yeah. Uh, a Roomba can actually use to make a map of your house. Oh, no. There's a guy who used... Have you got a Roomba? No, 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 I, I don't, but l- luckily, no. But can, I, can, I, cannot, I, I cannot fathom to think what will happen. So there's a guy who made a um, Roomba plugin that, as it mapped his house... So the Roomba has, um, uh, has positioning systems. 
So he made a plugin for the Roomba to tr- learn how how his house was laid out and then port that into Doom. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Yeah. See, that's a danger. Uh, oh, and here's another funny thing from Facebook. All right, this information is also used to show you personalized content, including ads. Yep, that's the Facebook way. <laughs> Can you imagine? All right, here, here, can you imagine this? Right, you're playing um, Beat Saber on your Oculus Rift. All of a sudden, in the middle of a in, in middle of a round, wanna buy a new hoodie from a from, from a Facebook shop? Go to this web, go to this Facebook page. Honestly, this um, this does kind of remind me of the bad guys from Ready Player One. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, this like is that br- scene in the movie that's um, where they're like, "See, this is the player's UI now. This is the UI with seventy percent more ads." Ah, <laughs> uh, this opens up a very, very tricky cat can of worms. Yeah, so I think, I mean, personally, I'm not interested in a quest because of Facebook, so I'll be buying from a competitor. But um, part of what bugs me about this is that they're applying this uh, requirement to people who have already bought the quest and signed up and are playing under the current terms of service. And I think that's a pretty major change to the terms of service. Oh, man. I just find, like, um, I, I just think this is um, insane in terms of how we're slowly degrading into, like, we're slowly dancing into China censorship territory. Yet at the same time, <laughs> we're not. We, this is insane. The cyberpunk like, dystopia was not a manual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could say that with 1984 as well. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, irony thy name. <laughs> uh, it's more, um, we're more Brave New World than 1984. Uh, I mean, we've got the surveillance state aspect, but we've also got the bread and circuses distracting us from giving a damn. Can you imagine Edward Snowden go, um, sitting in Russia right now going, ha! told you so but you didn't believe me yeah um ed snowden was more about uh it was more about the um the government spying on you mm. but oh that's another you know. thing can you imagine you your Facebook account, your government looks into your history? Yeah, please no. <laughs> oh no. Uh, yeah, the, the, I, I bet you like uh, it's, uh, if society crumbles, it will be like Dune. How will it be like Dune? Uh, we'll have a we'll have we'll, we'll, we'll rebuild society under houses like House of Treaties and House of Bar- uh, Harkonnens and whatnot. You nearly said House Barconan. Yep. Which just got me thinking of an adorable dog themed June parody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Broom Studios have recently. Oh no, no. The dog themed parody of Worm Sign is worse. Oh no. No, uh- why did I think this? <laughs> I'm going to go like just scrape my brain out with a spoon. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Boom Studios have recently revealed a first look of their upcoming Dune House of Treaties series by Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson, and Dev Paramanic. So this will be well, a 12... it's House of Treaties. Yeah. So this issue. So this will be a twelve uh, twelve issue series uh, based on the prequel novel written by Herbert and An- Herbert and Anderson, based on uh, the Dune creator Frank Herbert's notes. 
And the series will showcase Herbert's June characters before their involvement in the first novel. Yeah, I've read the book it's based on. It's not good. <laughs> okay, like, how, not, how not good are we saying here? As in, like, pacing or plot or... Uh, pacing, plot, characters. So, you know, the original June is a masterpiece on the level of Lord of the Rings. Uh, the other stuff by his son, or is it his grandson? But anyway, the Herbert and Anderson stuff is... It's a good comparison. It's like a typical Hollywood adaptation. It gets so much wrong, and <laughs> it's really um, like it gets so much wrong. So many simple little things. So the most egregious is that the Fremen make knives out of the teeth of sandworms called Kreis knives. And the thing is, these knives will decay if they aren't kept near a living body. Now, they have a treatment that they have, they call fixing, which preserves a, a crow's knife. It stops it decaying. They spent two books of the series using fixed to re- refer to the ones that decay. And then they change it in the third book. <laughs> so it's clear they eventually realized that they screwed up. <laughs> So they retconned the whole thing again? <laughs> no, they just quietly changed to um, using the correct term. Uh, so which, okay, so, okay, so which prequels in particular really um, dug you deep? Like, say, like, I am not going to read any more of these prequels. Um, let's see, I've read the three sequels and the three immediate prequels about the houses. Um, I haven't read the Butlerian Jihad books, which I should, I mean, I want to get around to it, but then I don't know if I actually want to. And I haven't read the books that go in between. So there's six books by Frank Herbert, three sequels, which wrap up the story, three uh, prequels, which introduce the main characters from the series, and three that are set, you know, a thousand years before that. Yeah. and are about mythological events. And then they went and filled in the gaps between the books with um, a bunch of other books. Yeah. Uh, so for the plot so the plot for this one, it's basically set in the years leading up to Dune, which inspired the upcoming le- um, film from Legendary, ha- uh, Legendary Pictures. Dune has a treatise transports the readers to a far future on the uh, desert planet Ar- Arrakis where Pardo Kynes uh, seeks its ecological secrets in remote, desolate regions of the alien world. Meanwhile, a violent coup is planned by Shadam Corrin, the son of Emperor Elrud. Uh, far away, an eight-year-old slave, Duncan Idaho, seeks to escape his cruel masters, and a young man named Leo Atreides begins a faithful journey. These unlikely souls are drawn together first as renegades, then as something more as they discover their true fate. To change the very shape of history. Boy, how have I heard that line before? To change the very shape of history. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you reckon, though? you reckon it's a good medium? Um, I mean... Yeah, it could be good. I mean, the story's not the best. The but, And it does feel a bit like they're cashing in on the movie coming out. But, um... Dude, this is... Dude, it's Hollywood, man. They're cashing to anything. I mean, the prequels are probably better to be an adaptation than the main series. The difficulty with the main books is that they're quite philosophical, and there's a lot of sort of 60s 
sitting and talking. And that doesn't come across well in a film because, you know, you've got two hours to fit in as much action as you can, which is why I'm cautiously hopeful that the uh, new movie will be good. But um, uh, well, then again, though, like I said, it's a, it's comic books, so people will buy comics no matter what it is at, at this stage. Like uh, comics, like a comic book. Uh, if I agree with you there, like it's it's all like uh, it's a good medium. But you're right. I just hope they 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 stay faithful to the source material. Uh, but I, okay, I haven't like to to full disclosure. I'm I haven't really um seen Dune. I, oh, actually, scratch that. I have seen Dune the movie, but I never really followed the Dune universe. Which one? The uh, 1984 movie? Yeah, the 1984 movie. Yeah. Yeah, don't try to follow it from there. Just start from scratch. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, speaking of movie, speaking of uh, all things, speaking of different mediums, um, Disney Plus series they've got a new, sh- they've got a She-Hulk series coming up, and they've recently cu- announced um, the person to play as She-Hulk, uh, Tatiana Maslany, uh, who was from Orphan Black, if I recall. Yes, she played. Like all of the main characters in Orphan Black. <laughs> it's so... a fantastic series. So, the basic gist of the series is that Tatiana Maslani plays a family of clones who, um, but she manages to put this spin on each character and has each character um, feeling unique, even in scenes where some of the characters go undercover as each other. And I think that'd tie in well with um with Hulk, considering that's two characters playing well, you know, two characters representing the same person, different oh. uh, aspects of their personality. See, we see was she Hulk in in this one? So the so here's a brief backstory about her. So she so she Hulk is um Jennifer Walters, and she's the cousin of Bruce Bruce Banner the one that is the first Hulk. And as a lawyer, she was shot and seriously wounded um, on the same day that she was, the, the same day her cousin was to visit her and reveal that he, he is the Hulk. So no one was able to match her blood type. So Bruce gave her an emergency transfusion, but his gamma irradiated blood and his own anger turns Walters into the little creature for the first time when the gangsters return to finish the job. Unlike her cousin, Walters re- learns to control a transformation and decides to spend most of her time looking green while continuing to practice law. <laughs> so basically, she is the um, she, she's, she's daredevil hot. but green. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, without the supernatural senses, but yeah, with the super strength and all. But um, yeah, here's my problem with I I I, I I'm okay with it. Like if the, if she's good with Orphan Black. It'd be great. Uh, be, it'd be a good casting. My biggest fear when it comes to Disney Plus is the writing, because <laughs> they because Disney has a very bad idea, a bad history when it comes to female characters in the terms of Mary Sue's, as what we've seen with Mulan recently. Really? Yeah. Okay. It was. Oh, it's. I'll admit, I haven't seen the new Milan, but um, I know a lot of people aren't happy that it's uh, its own thing rather than a remake of the animated version. Like, yeah. Lion King is basically a shot-for-shot remake of the animated version. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Lion King is animated, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Milan is its own thing and cuts out all of the supernatural stuff and goes into the mythical stuff. Yeah. 
and no and no singing no mushu no cricket nothing no no nothing no not even the not even here's a funny thing not even come not even the um commander that sings the be a man song not even that okay like the here's the problem with um the, like the animated Disney ones they were good because Mulan had like the different ways of thinking she had like it was a female hero's journey like in with the current Disney um heroes like for example Ray from Ray from Star Wars um with Mulan and hopefully not um She-Hulk is that the hero's journey in the current way it's not portrayed properly it's just I have this superpower bow before me I, I can control it even I can control it without any sort of um prior knowledge or anything like that. Yeah, the Star Wars movies did have a, a bit of that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So that's my fear when it comes to She Hulk. Like, are they going to are, are they going to ruin that with um She Hulk by making her a Mary Sue, or are they going to make it as a genuine hero's journey, a genuine no. female hero's journey? It's going to be a television series, though, isn't it? Yeah. So hopefully it'll be a different team to the movie team. Yeah, but the like I said, the writers will make it up. Will make it like make her into the, into this Mary Sue, even with even with the um, even if it's like a different medium. So that's my gripe. Like, and I hope it well, survives. Did, oh, sorry. You know, their TV shows are better regarded than their movies at the moment. Yeah, but the, like, but uh, that being said, though, like the like superhero. TV shows recently have not been doing well. Like, uh, for example, uh, Super uh, um, Supergirl. It recently came out saying that they're going to be ending the series, and yeah, it didn't. It 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 wasn't received well. Um, well, well, the um, judging by the advertising budget, the boys is being really well received. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Every bloody YouTube video I watch. <laughs> But um, okay, I agree with you there. The boys would be would be an exception, but I'm 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 talking more like female centric TV shows. Recently, have not been doing well. Like uh, for example, as I said, Supergirl. We won it's ending ending so soon, and people have and it wasn't really well received. Batwoman with Ruby Rose. That is not going well. <laughs> like they made Batwoman into into like from a from a like. A, from a tough character into oh yes um, I'm 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 perfect I'm good I don't need training I can do all this in the back of my head no training mm. whatsoever that's an interesting point um who was the actor who played was it Ben Affleck played Bat Nipples Batman uh no George Clooney George Clooney yeah you couldn't get away with that for uh, for Batgirl though <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, I, as I said, like, I'm just hoping they don't mess it up because, like I said, Disney has a habit of just destroying, um, like, popular female characters and making them into Mary Sue's and, like, not doing well. Oh, no, actually, there's one more, there's one more, uh, Disney, um, there's one more female Disney character, Captain Marvel. I thought people liked that one. Uh, it, it was split, but people were just like, "Yeah, she's just a Mary Sue." Okay. Yeah. But, um, well, I'll admit I don't up. <laughs> watch every movie, so. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So moving on. So, Professor, what game have you been playing? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I've been playing the Super Mario 64 re-release. Ooh. Nintendo re-released uh, 64 Sunshine and uh, Galaxy on Switch as part of the 3D All-Stars pack. Mm. The camera is better than I remember it being. Uh, it still has issues, but I I don't know. I don't remember the, you know, it's a direct port, not not even a port. It's emulated. But maybe it's just that the um, having twin sticks instead of buttons, mm. the camera does feel better. Um, the controls are still, you know, just as good as they were. The most disappointing thing is that they used a patched Japanese version of it that came out after, you know, a year or two after the original game. So instead of Mario saying, so long gay Bowser, <laughs> you, you're aware of that line? No, vaguely, vaguely. So um, when Mario throws Bowser in one of the boss battles, right at, like, right near the beginning of the game, so everyone's seen it, he would say something, apparently it's something like, so long King Bowser. But between his accent and the low audio quality, it came across as so long gay Bowser, <laughs> which made Mario possibly the most uh, homophobic um, action platformer hero around. But it's okay because he's still horribly bigoted. Now he says bye bye. <laughs> Oh, uh, before you go on, um, just one clarification. It's not Batgirl, it's Batwoman. That's yeah, one. okay. Yeah, Batwoman. But yeah, yeah, with gay bat with gay bows. <laughs> How could they get it so wrong? I think they you know, they knew what they were listening for. They when they recorded it, they knew that the line was going to be uh so long King Bowser or whatever. And it wasn't until it got out in the world when people who hadn't been pre-exposed to the line King Bowser. They um they heard gay Bowser. <laughs> it's like seeing faces where there aren't any or hearing things in um backwards songs. If you prime <laughs> your brain for what you want to see, you will see it. So the developers were primed for seeing hearing King Bowser. The gamers weren't primed yet, so they heard gay Bowser. Uh so the so the graphics are better on the um the new one? Yeah, they're um, higher resolution. Unfortunately, they aren't really improved. The pop-in is still pretty bad. Uh, but, um, you know, the gameplay is still just as good as it was. And there are no, like, glaring issues with the port or the, the emulation. Although the bug fixes do break uh, speedrunning tactics. So uh, how many Nelly Beanies out of five would you give that one? Uh, five out of five. Nice. Yeah, it's still, like, a very, you know, for for what it is, it's... Absolutely perfect. Sure, a remake would be nice, especially if they made it in the Odyssey engine. But the um, considering it's the first uh, first 3D platformer that Nintendo made back in the day when that wasn't even really a thing, I don't know how they got it so right. I reckon they did, they got it right because of the uh, they they didn't like milk the franchise like uh, what you see nowadays. Like they got they, I think they got it right. Nintendo got it right. Really? Yeah. 
I um. I mean, Nintendo was doing well. Like when Super Nintendo came out, there was all these Mario games, and they were fun. And when um, Nintendo sixty four came out, like, oh yeah, Mario sixty four, cool. Keep that wave going. Like, keep the momentum going. Like, it was a smooth transition. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, there's only really one Mario game per generation, or one or two, so it, it isn't oversaturated. Yeah. But what I mean by them getting it right is that. Apart from certain issues like the camera, there's no, um, uh, well, they made such a good game from scratch. They weren't copying off anyone. They weren't learning from anyone. They had to come up with it all or most of it themselves. So that's what, um, that's what's interesting to me that they managed to pull it off. So what did you play? I have been playing Among Us. I gave that a bit of a go the other night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And? Well, I like it. I think I prefer um, other games with the same mechanics, but, um, you know, it's pretty quick and, and, and easy to get into, so it's, uh, nothing wrong with it. I think it, I just it, prefer it, other, other games with that style. It reminds me of Deceit, that game. Yeah. But the cool part about it is, like, how you can duck and dive, like, and commit perjury. <laughs> it's like, I saw this guy at this room. No, I wasn't in that room. I was in this other room. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man, you're trying to... It, it, it tells you what, a couple of things, though, like, whether you're a good liar or a bad liar, and I'm definitely not a good liar. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yeah, with Among Us though, the um, the, there are some issues, there are some UI issues sometimes. But um, like sometimes the uh, the screen would glitch and you can't vote, but you can you can't vote or anything like that. And um, sometimes you have to do multi, you have to do um, you have to still do the same task even though the task has been completed, which is very annoying. Yeah, there's a few bugs. Yeah, I will say this though: the character models for Among Us, it it's slow, it's eerily similar to the Fall Guys um character models. Yeah, they're kind of you know solid colors with um circular face holes. Yeah, but um yeah, I had a bug when I was playing last night. I was murdered, and then people were still seeing me walk around like I was a ghost going around doing my tasks. But people were seeing me as a person and walking around so when a meeting was called like i was in a voice chat with people to discuss and when the meeting was called they were like why aren't you talking you're still alive you're right here standing in front of me and i'm like like no mate i'm really not like <laughs> i i broke character to explain that i was bugged because oh. was, um yeah it was a very, and then i ended up being murdered again somehow <laughs> and that was what um what ended the game because i was the last one alive Wow, that glitchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But the cool part about it is, is when you're the imposter, you can do all these sabotages and, and, be, and be sus as heck. I like locking people in the, um, yeah, locking people in, in rooms just to annoy them. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, the other annoying part is sometimes when you're in the, when you're locking, when you're locking them out, there's a small sliver of like, what what who can see what as well if you, i don't know whether you've noticed it so let's say for example you locked someone you've uh like i'm locked in with the with the victim and there's a small sliver of the door that's been locked at from the from the outside angle and i just kill the person you'd be like oh i saw this guy killed it because of the the name and stuff okay but still it's a fun it's a fun game and it teaches you a lot of a lot of things that game like how to lie properly i'm giving this game uh four out of five four out of five it's fun it's more um it's fun entertaining and <laughs> and definitely very sneaky 
So uh, on to our shout-outs. On the 14th of September 2020, Bill Gates Sr. passes away. So uh, Bill Gates Sr., a lawyer and father of Microsoft's co-founder, uh, who stepped in who, when appeals for charity began to overwhelm his billionaire son um, and started and saw what become the world's largest philanthropy, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, has died. In uh, 1994, Mr. Gates was 69 and planning to retire from his prestigious law practice. In a few years, when one autumn evening, he and his son, Bill, and his daughter-in-law, Belinda, went to a movie. Standing in a ticket line, Bill told his father that he was inundated with appeals for charity, but he was far too busy running Microsoft to answer them. His father suggested that he, Bill Sr., could sift through the paperwork and, with his son's approval, send out ch- send out some checks. So Mr. Bill, when Mr. Gates Sr. found uh, later were dozens of cardboards filled with requests for money. Many were heartbreaking stories of need. A week later, Bill Jr. set aside $100 million to open what was initially called the William H. Gates Foundation. His father, sitting at his k- kitchen table, wrote their first check, $80,000 for a local cancer program. And uh, in tri- so in a tribute, his son said that uh, his wisdom, generosity, empathy, and humility had a huge influence on people around the world. Yeah, what a, what a legend. Um, 17th of September 2020, Winston Groom uh, passes away at 77. Winston Groom, the uh, writer, historian, and University of Alabama graduate whose novel Forrest Gump uh, became a pop culture phenomenon selling 1.7 million copies on the strength of its adaptation into an iconic six Oscar-winning 1994 movie has died. Uh while he, while he's best known for his uh, novel, which was ad, which was adapted into movies, the film propelled the novel to bestseller status and it sold 1.7 million, as I said earlier on. Um, however, Paramount Pictures utilized the Hollywood accounting to deflate the profitability numbers of the film, and Groom received no payment for his three percent profit share in it. Boo! I know. He uh, published a sequel, Gump and Co, in 1985. And on uh, Groom's first pages, uh, Gump speaks on how poorly, f- uh, how poorly folks treated him because he was an idiot, but quickly slides into glory days as a crimson tide running back. Uh, Gump, Groom's Gump was built more, built more like the rider himself. At six feet six inches and two hundred forty pounds, an astronaut, professional wrestler, chess grandmaster, ping pong wizard, and co-star of the Raquel with Raquel Wench in the remake of Creatures, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, unlike the Hollywood version, uh, Gump um, smoked dope, enjoyed sex, played rock and roll, and enjoyed his college experience elsewhere than, than on Gridiron. And uh, he... Yeah, he also joined the space program and crash-landed on an island of cannibals. <laughs> the book gets weird. <laughs> Uh, Groom drew the idea from drew the drew the idea from a story his father father told him about a neighbor's kid who, d- despite mental challenges, displayed savant behavior. Inspired, he pushed aside another project and wrote Forrest Gump in a six-week burst of energy. He died in Fairhope, Alabama. Man, six weeks burst of energy! I couldn't even write a university assignment in six weeks. And I wonder how much sleep did that guy get? Judging by the plot, not enough. <laughs> yep. On the uh, 18th of September 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away um, at 87. So uh, Ruth Bader, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the demure firebrand who in her, 
80s became a legal cultural feminist icon um, has died. The court in a statement um, said, Our nation has lost a justice of historic stature. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts said, We at the Supreme Court have lost a cherished colleague. Today we mourn, but with confidence that future generations will remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg as we knew her, a tireless, resolute champion of justice. His uh, granddaughter uh, said, My fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. Uh, she was she has uh, received attention in American popular culture for her passionate dissents in, normal, in numerous cases, widely seen as reflecting par- paradigmatically um, liberal views of the law. She was playfully and nobly dubbed the Notorious RBG by a law student, a reference to the late Brooklyn-born rapper Notorious B.I.G., and she later embraced the moniker. She died from complications of metastatic ca- uh, pancreatic cancer in Washington, D.C. I'm amazed that she's she, that she's, li- she's lived that long with, with, with that kind of an illness. Yeah. Oh, and interestingly enough, she was nominated by Bill Clinton. So she would have started, uh, when was Bill Clinton? Like the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. So she had almost 30 years of service. Yeah, 1993, that's when he started his presidency. Oh, okay. So, you know, 25 years of service. Nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on to our remembrances. Uh, 21st of September, 1576, uh, Girolamo Cardo. Uh, Cardano, an Italian polymath whose interests and proficiencies range from being a mathematician, physician, biologist, physicist, chemist, astrologer, astronomer, philosopher, writer, and gambler. He was one of the most influential mathematicians of the Renaissance and was one of the key figures in the uh, foundation of probability and the earliest introducer of the binomial coefficient and the binomial theory in the Western world. He wrote more than 200 works of science. And he partially created and described several mechanical devices, including the combination lock, the gimbal, uh, consisting of three concentric uh, rings allowing a supported compass or gyroscope to rotate freely, and the carded shaft with universal joints, which allowed the transmission of rotary motion at various angles and is used in devices these days. Uh, Cardano was notoriously short of money and kept himself solvent for by being an accomplished gambler and chess player. His books, his book about games of chance, Libro di, di Ludo Alie, also known as book, book on Games of Chance, written around 1564, but not published until 1663, can contains the first systematic treatment of pop- probability. As so well. what you said there was his book on games of chance called the book on games of chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About games of chance titled the book on game of chance. Not <laughs> uh, not fun, not fun, not, not, not a huge, but not, not, not a fan of titling differently, but okay. Um, so he basically used the game of drawing ju- dice to understand the basic concepts of probability. He demonstrated that the efficacy of uh, defining odds as the ratio of favorable to unfavorable outcomes, which implies that the probability of an event is given by the ratio of favorable outcomes to the total number of possible outcomes. He died at the age of 74 in Rome. Uh, 21st of September 1971, Bernardo Jose, Argentine physicist, physiologist who in 1974 was a co-recipient of a Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine for his discovery of the role played by pituitary hormones in regulating the amount of blood sugar 
in animals. He was the first Argentine Nobel laureate in the sciences. Um, Jose demonstrated in the 1930s that uh, diabetogenic effects uh, affect anterior hypothesis extracts and the decrease in diabetes uh, severity with anterior hypophysectomy. These discoveries uh, stimulated the study of hormonal feedback control mechanisms, which are central to all aspects of modern encryption endocrinology. You picked a lot of big words to say tonight, didn't you, DJ? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jose was also active as a scientific leader and promoter of the advancements of scientific research and medical education in Argentina, as well as in Latin America. He died from natural causes at the age of 84 in Buenos Aires. On the 21st of September 2002, Robert L. Forward, Robert Lull Forward, uh, American physicist and science fiction writer. His literary work was noted for its scientific credibility and the use of ideas developed from his career as an aerospace engineer. Much of his research focused on the leading edges of speculative physics, but was also was always grounded in what he believed humans could accomplish. He worked in such projects as space tethers and space fountains, solar sails, anti-matter propulsion, and other spacecraft propulsion technology, and did further research on more esoteric possibilities such as time travel and negative pa- uh, matter. He was issued a patent for the, uh, for the statite and contributed to the concept to drain the Van Allen belts he, in addition to um, the 200 papers and articles, he published 11 novels. His treatment of hard science topics in fiction form is highly reminiscent of the work of Hal Clement. He described his first novel, Dragon's Egg, as a textbook on neutron star physics disguised as a novel. His novel, Roach World, describes a double planet system with a single single shared atmosphere and ocean and a beam-powered propulsion interstellar st- spaceship to get there. He died from terminal cancer at the age of 70 in Seattle. Actually, now that you mentioned the, sing- the whole um, double plan system, there was a story I saw the other day in, um, in No Man's Sky. There is a planet where two planets are squished together. Okay, that's also um, one of the planets, well, one of the planetary systems in Outer Wilds is uh, they're called the Hourglass Twins because they're two planets that orbit around each other and sand flows from one to the other and then back. I love how um, how ridiculous sci-fi this stuff is. <laughs> Sit-based fountains, draining the Van Allen belts, and this guy's like, you know, I reckon we could actually do this. I bet you, like, some conspiracy theorists will read his novels and go, it finally, it, I've, I've, I've cracked it. I've cracked a way to, to, um, to go time traveling. I've read it in a book. That would be incredible, though. I so, wish that uh, could happen. Oh, yeah. Um, famous birthdays on the 21st of September, 1853, Heike uh, Kamalinj Onis. Dutch physicist and Nobel laureate, he ex- exploited the Hampson-Lind cycle to investigate how materials behave when cooled to nearly absolute zero and later to liquefy helium for the first time um, in 1908. He also discovered superconductivity in 1911. So on 10th of July 1908, he was he was the first to liquefy helium using seven, several pre-cooling stages and the Hampson-Lind cycle based on the Joule-Thompson effect. This way, he lowered the temperature to lowered the temperature to the boiling point of helium, which is minus 269 degrees Celsius 
and 4.2 Kelvin. By reducing the pressure of the liquid helium, he achieved a temperature near 1.5 K. Uh, these were the coldest temperatures achieved on Earth at the time. Um, on, the 8th, on the 8th of April 1911, Kimmerling owners found that uh, 4.2 K, the resistance of solid mercury wire immersed in liquid helium, suddenly vanished. He l immediately realized the significance of the discovery, and uh, he reported that mercury had passed into a new state which on account of its uh, extraordinary electrical properties may be called the superconductive state. He uh, published more articles about the phenomenon, initially referring to it as superconductivity and uh, later adopting the term superconductivity. I uh, said superconductivity twice. Oh, the first one was supraconductivity. Ah, yep. Thank you. So it's initially supra, then super. Thank you. Um, he gained recognition for it, including the uh, Nobel Prize in Physics. Uh, for his investigation on the properties of matter at low temperatures, with, which led inter alia to the production of liquid helium. He was born in Groningen. Groningen. Uh, I'm going to get it so badly wrong. Uh, 20, 21st of September, 1866, Charles Nicolet. Uh, Charles Jules Henry Nicolet, French bacteriologist who received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for his identification of lice as a transmitter of epidemic typhus. In 1903, Nicolet became the director of Pasteur Institute of Tunis, uh, Institute in Tunis, where he did his no Nobel Prize winning work on typhus, bringing Helene Sperrer with him as um, laboratory chief. So uh, Nicolet's uh, discovery came about from first from his observation that epidemic typhus patients were able to interact uh, with other with other patients inside and outside the hospital, um, and their clothes seemed to be spread seemed to spread the disease. They were no longer infectious when they had the hot bath and a change of clothes. Once he realized this, he reasoned that it's most likely that the lice were the vectors of the typhus, and further research showed that major transmission methods was not only the, was not the last bites, but excrement. Lice infected with, life, with typhus turns red and die after a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, they excrete a large number of microbes. Yeah. So uh, he tried the first vaccine on himself, and when and when st he stayed healthy, he tried it on a few ch on a few children because of their better immune system, which developed typhus, but later recovered. He was born in Rowan. He also discovered uh, Toxoplasma gondiosi, which is a um, parasite, which is possibly responsible for the crazy cat lady phenomenon. Uh, so Toxoplasma is a parasite that lives in cats and mice, and it causes the mice to lose their fear of cats because it wants to be eaten by the cats to become, you know, to be able to go to its next stage of its life cycle. So it manipulates the mice somehow into not being afraid of cats anymore. And the theory is that the uh, crazy cat ladies are infected and have the same effect. Ah, uh, uh, so the, wait... So does that mean that the crazy cat lady on The Simpsons was was not because uh, she was burned out, but because she was infected? Possibly. Oh, <laughs> uh, Simpsons writers! <laughs> if you're hearing this, I think you might need a. I think you might need to change something. Well, this is a case of real life did it first. That's true. <laughs> so uh, on the 21st of September 1918, John Goffman, uh, John William Goffman, American scientist and advocate. He was the professor emeritus of molecular and cell biology at University of California at Berkeley. He pioneered the field of clinical, uh, clinical lip 
Lipidology and was honored the title the father of clinical lipidology. Jesus, what's with the names? <laughs> By the Journal of Clinical Lipid... Oh. <laughs> uh, so, um, Goffman was in- instrumental in inducing the Health Physics Scientific Committee both to acknowledge the cancer risks of ionizing radiation and to adopt the linear no, no tr- threshold model as means of estimating actual cancer cancer risk from low-level radiation and as the foundation of international guidelines for radiation protection. However, his conclusions were that the dose-response relationships was not linear, but supralinear. He co- also co-discovered se- several radioisotopes, no- normally, uh, notably uranium-233 and its fission ability. Um, he was the third person ever to work with plutonium and had devised an early process for separating plutonium from fission products at J. Robert Oppenheimer's response request. He was the first chemist ever to try and isolate milligram quantities of plutonium. Later in life, uh, Goffman took on the role as an advocate warning the dangers of involving nuclear power. He was born in Cleveland, Ohio. So on to our events of interest. On the 21st of September 1942, the Boeing B-29 Super Fortress made its maiden flight. On so the so on the on September 21, 1942, the uh, Super Fortress made made its debut flight in Seattle, Washington. It was the largest bomber used in war by any nation. It was conceived in 1939 by General Hap Arnold, who was afraid of German victory in Europe and would mean that the United States would be devoid of bases on the eastern side of the Atlantic from which to counterattack. A plane was needed that would travel faster and faster, further and higher than in, than any available. So Boeing created this four-engine en- four heavy bomber. So it was extraordinarily able to carry loads um, almost equal of its weight at altitudes of 30,000 to 40,000 feet. So uh, the Super Fortress made its run, and uh, but would not make its bombing run debut until June 5th, 1944 against Bangkok in preparation for the Allied liberation of Luke of Burma from Japanese hands. In one raid, it killed 80,000 people. Wow. But the uh, B-29's lethal missions would come in August as it was the only plane capable of delivering a 10,000 pound bomb, the atomic bomb. The uh, Enola Gay and the Boxcar took off from Marianas on August 9th and August 6th and August 9th, respectively, and flew into history. See, I thought the Enola Gay was just like was was just Krusty's pl- was just Krusty's playing. I did not know the whole reference to that. No, but um, if I remember correctly, the Enola Gay was named after the pilot's mother. Huh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was named after. Um, it was named after Enola Gay Tibbets, the mother of the pilot, Colonel Paul Tibbets. Probably better than having the nuke named after you, but not by much. <laughs> yeah, that was. This was the first aircraft to drop a drop the atomic bomb. Uh, the bomb was codenamed Little Boy, and it was here. Oh, Hiroshima. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Oh. And then a few days later, Boxcar dropped uh, dropped the bomb on Nagasaki. So uh, on the 21st of September 1953, L- Lieutenant No Kam Sok, and yes, that is actually a name. A North Korean pilot defects to South Korea with his fighter with a jet fighter. So on the morning, uh, No flew his um, Mikoyan Gr- Gruvich um, MiG-15 from Sunan, just outside Pyongyang, to the Kimpo Air Base in South Korea. The time from takeoff in North Korea to landing was just 17 minutes. 
and the MiG reached a thousand kilometers per hour um, which during the flight he was not chased by any North Korean aircraft because he was too far away nor was he in Indic, um, he, no, he was um, interdicted by, interdicted. Uh, inter, thank you, interdicted by uh, American air, air or ground forces. U.S. radar near Kimpo had shut down temporarily that morning for routine maintenance. Oh, uh, so no landed the uh, la- landed the wrong way of the ru- the wrong way on the runway, almost hitting an F eighty six Saber land. Saber jet landing at the same time from the opposite direction. Captain Dave Dave William veered out of the way and exclaimed over the radio, "It's a goddamn Mig!" So, uh, uh so when Noah taxied the Mig into a free parking spot between two Saber jets, he got out of the plane and began tearing a picture of Kim Kim Il Sung that was placed in the cockpits of North Korean aircraft, and then threw up his arms in surrender at approaching airbase security guard. After being taken into custody custody and debriefed by CIA operative Andy Brown, born Arsny Yankovsky, son of Yuri Yankovsky, uh, No received uh, $100,000, which is equivalent to $955,597 in in 2019 standards, reward offered by Operation Moolah for being the first pilot to defect with an operational aircraft, which he said he never heard of prior to his defection. (laughs) I wonder what was his excuse. Like, if he did not hear about the defection, what what was his reason then? Wanting the GTFO? (laughs) Well, that's a good reason. I mean, the million bucks is nice, but getting out of North Korea is probably equally as nice. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money and a, and a new life as well. Yeah. Do you want to know his his um, American name, though? It's interesting. What is it? Kenneth H. Rowe. That sounds like a traditional Western name. It does. Um, I've noticed um, with the, the Chinese exchange students, they all tend to pick sort of outdated names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, what's a name I haven't heard in a long time? I have never heard of a Justin in my in, really? In so many years. Like, I never, like, I, I knew, like, one just, uh, a Justin, but later on it's just like, there's no Justins. There's, like, Ben, Matthew, and Charlie, and... I know a bunch of Justins. Wow. You're a lucky man. Uh, So on the 21st of September, 1964, the North... Cor- North uh, I was saying North Korean? The North American XB-70 Valkyrie, the world's fastest bomber, makes its maiden flight from Palmdale, California. And uh, one engine had to be shut down shortly after its takeoff, and an undercarriage malfunction um, warning meant that it's that the flight was flown with an undercarriage down as a precaution, limiting the speed to 390 miles per hour, about half that planned. During the landing, the rear wheels of the port side main gear locked, the tires ruptured, and a fire started. Man, that's got to suck. Yeah, better than having the plane break up in midair. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine being the pilot on that day? Just go like, this is not my day. This is definitely not my day. Uh, you you got to have something special to be a uh, test pilot. Mm-hmm. There's a reason most of the um, most of the early astronauts were test pilots. It's to basically, isn't it to basically like, um, to te- I thought it was basically to test the, um, whether they could handle st- like G-force. 
on a on um rather than going through the whole spinning the the whole spinning experiment like do the well, do it through flights and stuff. There's that, but you know NASA was recruiting Air Force pilots to begin with, and uh, doing so they had to pick um people who had you know the right stuff, and that happened to be test pilots because it you know. It takes a certain attitude to sit on top of a giant bomb and ride it into space. And uh, finally, on the 21st of September 1981, Sandra Day O'Connor is unanimously approved by the U.S. Senate as the first female Supreme Court Justice. Uh, President Ronald Reagan nominates Sandra Day O'Connor, an Arizona Court Court of Appeals judge, to be the first woman Supreme Court Supreme Court Justice in U.S. history. On September 21, the Senate unanimously approved her appointment to the nation's highest court, and on September 25th, she was sworn in by Chief Justice Warren Burger. Uh, she's a moderate conservative and faced opposition for from anti-abortion groups who criticized the judicial defense of legalized abortions on several occasions. Liberals celebrated the appointment of a woman to the Supreme Court, but were critical of, of some of her views. On social issues, she often voted with liberal justices, and in several cases, she upheld abortion rights. During her time on the bench, she was known for her dispassionate and carefully researched opinions, and was regarded as a prominent justice because of a tendency to moderate the sharply divided Supreme Court. So that makes Ruth Bader Ginsburg the second woman to 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 chair in Supreme Court. Anyways, that's all we have for uh, this week. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify. You can also find us on that'snotcanon.com where we have an archive of our old episodes. And uh, you can also find uh, some new That's Not Canon podcasts like uh, Near and Queer to My Heart. Sounds like a pretty cool um, podcast name. Yeah, what's that one about? That one is about... Um, it's a podcast dedicated to sharing the lives and stories of queer performers. And uh, each episode, they interview a different queer performer. Sounds like a great addition to the That's Not Canon family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they can also find us on Pod Hero. Yep, on Pod Hero for $5 a month, you can support us and other podcasts. Your subscription is split between all the podcasts that you listen to in accordance with the ratio of how much you listen to each one. So uh, that's all we have for this week. Take care of yourselves, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.